Welcome to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, today, it, it is a hopeful day. It is. It is that first moment that we can actually begin to think about spring. Yeah, it's so exciting when all the little flowers start coming up. They do. And what happens every year it's is, nice. you, is, is you immediately, like everyone's <laughs> mind, but immediately every year, besides that, we have this like month, 45 days where nothing is really showing up yet. Right, right. We, we know that asparagus is that thing that says, okay. Mm-hmm. Now there's been some sun on some things, and there are green and fragrant things beginning to grow and available to eat, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So the question is how to deal with spring from this hopeful moment without being too frustrated yeah, <laughs> and, I, kind of, it, and kind of celebrate between now and asparagus, right? Right, right. I, yeah, I was, I was trying to think, what, you know, what, what is that feeling of spring? Why do we like it so much? Um, and how can we it's make... It's so cold. <laughs> yeah, let's make some... So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how do we, how do we, the food, from the standpoint of the food, how do we make ourselves like, feel like, oh, okay, I'm moving towards spring, even though there isn't anything new coming up. So, you know, I was thinking about like something so simple as something like fromage blanc with a bunch of fresh herbs and extra virgin olive oil and how something like that, you know, with chervil and tarragon and chives and a little, you know, finely chopped shallot and garlic and extra virgin olive oil, something like that's just bright and fresh and light and pretty, um, you know, could that make you feel like, oh, I'm getting ready for spring, <laughs> like the little one, flowers. One thing that helps is the, the availability these days and people can find things online and sometimes in stores and we get them directly for restaurants there are excellent farmers in greenhouses working in really good conditions mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean which is you, amazing you, you know tomorrow i'm going to go and get the first oh secret like, tomatoes secret tomatoes <gasps> already oh my gosh no that's so exciting oh and yay <laughs> and, and are they you know a perfect august tomato no 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 yeah but yeah. But, but are good. they uh, are they an excellent B plus A minus? Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh, that's very. And it's exciting. and it's always sort of shocking. Oh. You know that that you you can do that. I mean, it takes talent and it takes a system and it's an old system. You know, I have a source that mm -hmm. I cannot reveal <laughs> for for these tomatoes, but they it ends up giving us between these and our other farmers locally like a six month tomato season. Yeah. Of really top notch stuff. It's exciting. Good. Good. All right. So, I'll start thinking tomato tomato that, recipes. Start thinking that and then it's funny immediately I want baby vegetables. I want like little perfect flavorful you know for dishes that are not like like the big winter flavors, not the you mm. know that but what are the what are the things? What what do you want to cook right now? Mhm. Mm well, you know, it, we were, I will tell you, we, you know, we were able to get our first bag of crawfish. So that is the signal of spring. And obviously it came right of the week of Mardi Gras, which was perfect. I'm sure they were all very, very enthusiastic down in New Orleans and that region. And um, so at least we do have something, you know, that we can talk about right now that you can get. Um, but when you talk about those baby vegetables, which I'll get into a recipe for that later, but when you talk about baby, baby vegetables, I saw a recipe in uh, Paul Bocuse's book, um, his regional book, and it had a bunch of stuffed baby vegetables. So what do you want to do with yours if you, know, if you were going to do something? I mean, I, I always want something 
roasted slow, mm-hmm. but not heavy. You know, not. It's a little bit like the difference between a, a, a brown stock and a white stock. You know, where you don't have right. the extra caramelly flavors. The flavors are not as deep. Mm-hmm. And so, what happens? Think of the white chicken stock that that I make. Mm-hmm. If you just had a bunch of really beautiful baby vegetables, you know, just cook the vegetables in that stock. Uh-huh. You know, add whatever pasta shape you wish to. Minestrone, you know, yeah, earliest spring. I mean that. Yeah, that's fun. You know, you're you're talking about talking about herbs with that. I mean that's that that's fun. You can also, I mean, that that first arugula that begins to grow, the, the legitimate baby arugula, a little pesto from that to give you a little shock. That that mm-hmm. that would be nice with that. But I I it's funny. I I want to taste the vegetables. I've been having, but that with a piece of like braised veal shoulder or chicken thighs or something like that that's not in a heavy sauce mm-hmm. you know where the, where the punctuation for the dish are the vegetables that that's always what's in my brain at this time of the year a little good extra virgin olive oil in there yeah. that sounds good yeah exactly yeah well and you know we can get, i mean we can get genovese basil from one of our local farmers we have been able to all winter so i mean there is local stuff i mean you know i know there's there's no market now but I don't know if any of these guys distribute to uh, regular people, but um, you know, through through these guys, we can get that. You know, with with the stuffed vegetables, I love the idea of like, let's say it's a little, a little uh, little uh, uh, eight ball squash or something like that that's tiny and sort of round that you could scoop a little bit of the center out, um, or even or even a, a regular zucchini that you cut into like a sort of like a little boat, you know, you, you cut it into a long piece and you scoop a, you know, cut it in half lengthwise and then you scoop a little bit of the seed and everything out of the center, which you can then turn into part of the stuffing. You know, a little bit of shallot, garlic, extra virgin olive oil, maybe, well, certainly if we get tomatoes, a little bit of that beautiful fresh tomato in there, um, you know, and again, you know, maybe a tiny bit of fresh thyme or, you know, you could even drop a little rosemary in the fat and wave it around and perfume the fat a little bit, a little salt and pepper, something so simple like that. And and, and I like the idea of then utilizing the same vegetable or stuffing it with something with meat, like a little sausage stuffing. Oh, I just, I, I'm so excited by that idea. Baby you know, eggplants with a, a little lamb sausage, oh, a God. little spicy I mean, lamb sausage Doesn't stuffing. that sound good? Stuffed eggplant with lamb sausage. A little ground lamb. Um, again, you could add a little bit of garlic to it if you like garlic, finely chopped onion, a little bit of shallot, uh, definitely rosemary with lamb. Lamb loves rosemary. Um, if you have a little tomato paste, you know, you're, you don't have access to the secret tomatoes, so you use a little bit of tomato paste, which is ent- so good. I mean, you know, a great quality tomato paste can solve a lot of tomato problems when you don't have them. Um, or when they don't have great flavor because good paste, I mean, you can smell it right away. Mm-hmm. You, know, mm-hmm. you, you can smell the sun on the tomatoes. That's, that's the thing that you're always chasing. You know what I end up using this time of the year is I know that I am what, four months away, three, four months away from real tomatoes coming in, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But we're so aggressive when we put up tomatoes in the summer <laughs> mm-hmm. and we make the most of a neutral sauce. That's you know, good. Just a, a neutral tomato basil, not too much sodium, so it, it, you know, not too much of anything so you can begin whatever you want to with it. Using, using some of that for you know, reducing it a tiny bit, make, using that for a sauce for that uh you know that that eggplant stuff with a spicy lamb sausage would be great stuff I and mean, certainly it's fine for pasta but 
I've used it to braise pieces of swordfish before. Oh, you know, that swordfish good. takes it because swordfish, you know, you mm. want to take it to like medium well ish. That's where it's tender. Okay. You know, most things in the end, that, it's funny, you always hear, well, the chef recommends this. The chef, like, I mean, this chef recommends cooking it until it's the best to eat. <laughs> and that means for some things, I mean, like for. For that type a, of dish. A, for a duck breast, that, mm. that's maybe closer to medium than medium rare. Mm-hmm. You know, for 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 very for leaner beef, that's probably more rare than medium rare. Mm-hmm. You know, for for some cuts of lamb, it's going to be medium to almost medium well. Depends upon the size and the age of the lamb. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is traditional to do with that is is tuna braised in that. When you think about a, a big old tuna steak and a giant pot of tomato sauce, <laughs> yeah, you know that's. And you just kind of flake off big pieces of it, make a little relish with Costa Toronto olives or, mm-hmm. or uh, Tagiashe olives. That, that sounds good. Is a great excuse for a red wine fish dish. Oof, that just sounds so good. I could eat that right now. Oh, food is so inspiring. <clears throat> well, you know, I'm getting back uh, uh, to the that eggplant. You know, we didn't talk about what you do to the eggplant to stuff it. Uh, you want to in that situation, I would roast it. And if you cut, if you have like, ideally you'd have little, well, we're talking about baby vegetables. So you would have little eggplants um, and you would cut them again in in, uh, half lengthwise and you want to brush them with an ample amount of oil. It could be corn oil or extra virgin olive oil and they are like sponges. So, you know, it's going to take a lot of oil. Then uh, roast it flesh side down in a 325 degree oven. You want to put it on either on a Teflon coated pan or a pan with parchment paper or a glass dish, something that you can, that's a non-reactive situation because eggplant has, uh, will react with metal in a big, big way. Um, So uh, you want to roast it gently for, you know, if they're little guys, it might be five, 10 minutes. If you have large eggplants and you're stuffing for the family for 10 people tonight, um, which would be fun, actually, um, that's going to take probably about 20 minutes. So, but that's, that's what you have to do before you stuff it. Artichokes and white asparagus are the, are the next, before we get to forage things, and, and we'll start, we can start to talk about that and, and maybe we'll get to that next segment, mushrooms and all that goodness. Um, let, let's talk about those things that like sustain you vegetable wise until the moment that green asparagus shows up. For me, it's white asparagus and it's artichokes. Mm-hmm. What are your favorite things to do? Well, with, with white asparagus, I, I mean, there's just so many, it, there's so many different things you can do with it. It loves tarragon, uh, chervil, kind of like we were talking about with the fromage blanc uh, right at the top of the show. And um, the, the tarragon, you know, if you've ever worked with tarragon, it's very delicate. So you want a very sharp knife when you go to chop it. And it's very pungent. So you only need a little bit. Otherwise, everything's going to taste only like tarragon. But a, a cor- corn oil, champagne vinegar, tarragon, a little bit of finely chopped shallots over white asparagus, just absolutely gorgeous and sexy. And um, then you could go in a different direction, loves whole grain mustard or, or creamy Dijon mustard. You could make a little bit of vinaigrette with that. Um, but, or, or, well, and also I love goat cheese with either green or white asparagus. So you could add that to that, that first, uh, that champagne vinaigrette, um, with the, with the tarragon, you could add a tender lettuce like mosh, or it's also called lamb's leaf in English, uh, super tender. It's just, it's almost like eating butter lettuce, but it has a little bit, they're, they're tiny little leaves. It looks like a lamb's ear basically. Um, more delicate it, than that. 
Yeah, yeah, it's more delicate, and it's just almost a more herby than it is uh, than say a butter lettuce would be. But lamb's leaf is great. Or if you want to go with just a little punch, you could add baby arugula to that uh, white asparagus salad and give it some heat, um, which is fun. I think sometimes I like the way that, uh, and and I think that you had this when we were doing it. Uh, I like the way the Spanish will deal with it sometimes, which is grill it, white asparagus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes on this almost peanutty yeah. character. Exactly, it's, yes. It's, it's very particular. Mm-hmm. Um, but grilling that on a wood grill and just giving it extra virgin olive oil and a little bit of like older sherry vinegar, and that older sherry vinegar, a little bit like balsamico, has a little sweetness to it, mm-hmm. sort of inherently. There's an umami sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. And that... That could be great. That a big pile of that I could eat, no question. For sure. Well, and and really, you can put the artichokes and the white asparagus together. I mean, that would just be absolutely wonderful. I see a piece of turbo with that. Uh, you know, a, a sweet, light, flaky white fish. Um, you could, if you have lemon sole, uh, a fish like that, or or even salmon. Salmon would be delicious with both of those things. Uh, and I I really like seared salmon. You know, I, I was, I was watching uh, Chef's Table with. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, and and uh, I saw something about the the you know the salmon and the sorrel sauce, and all I could think of when I was looking at it because he was talking about how he he cooks it uh, so quickly, and I just love that, you know, not totally caramelized uh, tone to it when you cook it the way he does, where he sort of planks it. You know, it's just very quick and over and out um, in the in a saute pan. And it's just uh, that texture difference between the, the the raw and the cooked aspect of the salmon, and then you get the crunchiness of the asparagus, the crunchiness of the artichoke, and you just end up with this bite of something that's really special on the palate. Well, you get the crispy of the skin on the salmon. It's funny. You know, my girls love salmon, and they always, the, the, the first thing they do is just peel the skin off and they're like it's salmon potato chips. Oh, because <laughs> they know that, that. I mean, that's. that's yeah, I, I I don't love grilled salmon. I don't love salmon in other ways, but I definitely, in a pan, for me, with you, you know, it's like I'd like to hear you endorsing high heat cooking because mm-hmm. you know I like I know. that so much. <laughs> if it doesn't set off a smoke alarm, it's really not. Yeah, yeah. If Tony comes over to your house, turn off and remove all of your smoke. Open detectors. the windows. Yeah. Open. And open your windows. You'll, you'll like the cooking, but yeah, <laughs> but you're gonna notice that I was there. And then you're going to cry when you clean the pan afterwards. Make oh, Tony no, clean no. the pan. Yeah, I'll clean the pan. You know I will. <laughs> All right. But, yes, searing it good and hard. Not enough to burn it, but good enough. Getting that fat under the skin to melt out into the pan. Mm-hmm. It's just like any, any kind of meat or fish that you cook. You, if you can render some fat and actually have it be seasoned in while it's cooking, that, you know, that fat, some salt, that's huge. Salmon for me also, that's one place I will sneak a little butter in at the end of because it combines in the pan with, uh, Good. with, the, with the salmon fat. Mm-hmm. And you can just baste the fish as it finishes with that. <sighs> I just feel potatoes all of a sudden. Yep. Salmon and potatoes are pretty great. Mm-hmm. Olive oil crushed potatoes. And if you can get the little guys. Yeah, exactly. That's th- what I'm those thinking. Those are the best. You know, cause pretty you, little... You know, the, 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 the little peewees and, and, and the first new yeah. potatoes. <laughs> peewees. Those guys, peewees, yeah, peewee potatoes. I love those like things. They're so, so cute. Yeah. 
Whenever I see those in the grocery store, I just want to run over and hug them. I'm like, like the, oh, the size these the are the cutest thumb, potatoes. You know? <laughs> yeah. But they take, they take no time to cook. It's important that you have pretty salty water to cook them in, you know? Yeah. Just boil them. They go, you know, drain them. They go into a bowl, crush yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of crunchy sea salt, black pepper, and extra virgin olive oil. The better the oil, the better the potato juice is going to be for sure. Now, yeah, now you got me getting hungry. Oh, yeah. I'm, the, the, I'm just, the, the I'm crispy ready to salmon, cook. I'm ready yeah, to eat. <laughs> Cindy had no breakfast today. Right. When we come back on Formidable Phone Food and Wine, it's more early spring food. Welcome back to Foreman of Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're, we're in that hopeful moment of early spring before all the really green stuff shows up. And so mm-hmm. we spent time on white asparagus and artichokes, uh, how excited we are to eat salmon with the first little potatoes. Yes. And we should probably get into the other things that are going to start to appear mm-hmm. and be available to cook with. So what... What foraged items are your favorites to to work with? Morels uh, are one of my absolute favorite things in this world to cook, uh, cook period, and to get to eat, obviously. Uh, yeah, but my, um, mushroom, to, mushrooms are my language of love. You know that. That's, oh, oh my I, God. I love those things. Me too. And I just, you know, as a chef, I, I just love working with mushrooms. I I love working with all food, but... And, and, you know, people often ask me, what's your favorite thing to do or make in the kitchen? And, and I, I always, I never, I'm not really quite sure how to answer that because I love all food and I love making everything. But um, with, with something like morels, it is absolutely a labor of love because it is a foraged product, which means it's coming from a, a dirty forest floor that has a bunch of bugs and other fun little guys running around. And yeah. you're like, oh my, how you do don't I... Want dead, you don't want dead bugs. You don't want pine needles. You don't want sand. Nope. Nope. And so and, how and do you... And the beautiful cream sauce you're going to make with those morels. Yeah, which no one's going to enjoy. So, yeah. um, you know, it's, 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 it's a bit of a challenge to figure out because when you put mushrooms in water, again, just like eggplant, they act like sponges. And um, they absorb, absorb, and you, we all know what water tastes like. Well, hopefully, our water tastes like nothing. <laughs> Uh, if we're lucky, I guess. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's not, and it ruins the texture of the mushroom. And they already have a high water content because they do like to absorb water. Um, so, you know, if you have a delicate, soft mushroom brush, that can be very helpful, especially because the morel has all these little cavities. So they're one of the hardest mushrooms to clean. Um, and, you know, we always say they're like this storybook figure. You know, you, you think of it as looking a little bit like a little tree with a whole bunch of pockets. And, um, and that's where everybody hides. Usually the center, which is hollow, by the way, uh, and there's a hollow stem. Um, usually the center is clean, which is always fascinating to me. I guess it's sort of protected What's by the, the outside the rest kind of filters. Yeah, okay. You know. So, um, and you have blonde morels and dark morels. Uh, so you do have two, well, there's probably more than that varieties, but, um, those are two that you'll see that are available to you. And I I've done them. I've cleaned them a couple of different ways. If I thought they looked really good, I've tried to just brush them. That is usually not, it's rare that you can do that. You absolutely have to cut every stem 
everyone. I, I always work with the mushrooms, something like that in my kitchen because my cooks have so much work they have to do. And obviously I get there earlier than them and I get set up and then I, I save time for a project like this because it can take 45 minutes just to clean the morels. Well, it, it's, it's funny how satisfying some of those little projects are. Oh, I love it. I love you know, it. That, that's, that's the kind of thing that... Uh, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because that is definitely... It's in my brain. I want to roast a chicken properly. Mm. Um, and that, you know, that the method that I like best and a big cast iron and, and you baste mm -hmm. it the entire time and use a little bit of tarragon vinegar to stop the, you know, it's a poulet l'estragon. Mm -hmm. Um, and you roast it with shallots and garlic and, and carrots and, and keep basting it with the fat. But when the first morels show up, I want to make the classic cream sauce with the morels. From Bocuse. Yeah. Well. Well, they all do it. It's it's from yeah, the region. It's, it, it's, yeah, it's a exactly. traditional it's, 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 Lyonnaise it's the, dish. Yeah, it's well, a Lyonnaise, a Burgundian. I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's that's where you're gonna see it. Mm -hmm. So I think Macon is actually probably the origin of it. Well, it's funny. I was just you know, as I said earlier, I was looking at his book, and he he talks about. I want to talk about later about a chicken and crawfish dish, and he deglazes the pan with Macon, and I'm like, oh God, it just makes me happy to hear the word Macon. Mm -hmm. um, just pining well, for we'll France. Get, we'll get into that in the in the third segment because we're going to spend a little bit of time. That'll be fun. Uh, just basics of Burgundy, Good. you know, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir from their source. Awesome. But very quickly to make that cream sauce for me, and I'm sure that many chefs have different versions. I'm sure you'll immediately throw in something different. Um, for me, it's sweat a decent amount of shallots, add the, add chicken stock, and and I like a lighter one, not a not a super caramelized one. Reduce it probably to a quarter of its volume. Those morels that you clean so meticulously, add the morels, let them poach in there, and I find that the stock kind of takes all the flavor on. Mm -hmm. from those mushrooms because i feel like the job of the sauce is not for the mushrooms to have a big punch of flavor but for the sauce to have the, the sauce to carry the flavor and the mushrooms to be interesting texture you know mm -hmm. and then uh and then you finish it with cream reduce it further until you have a nice sauce consistency season it mm -hmm. you can throw a, a little bit of fresh thyme or rosemary in there you could throw a little bit of sage in there as well i would just pull the herb mm -hmm. before you served it just to get a little additional perfume. If you do that, do that at the stage where the mushrooms are going in the stock. But yeah. it's kind of a very gentle, patient way to get a lot of flavor, which I'm sure you're shocked at me talking about. No, not at Oh, yeah, I mean, of course not. <laughs> yeah, so I do make mine differently. Um, I, I have, in my years of cooking, I have learned to do things in a couple of different steps to get exactly what I want. And now I'm giving out a big old secret here. Uh, so alert, alert. Yeah. I almost hate to say this out loud. So I saute, uh, like you said, the, the, the shallot, a little bit of onion. I add an onion. You didn't, um, until it's tender. And then I do deglaze a pan with white wine, add the stock, reduce it down, add the cream, work it and let it go. Uh, I will saute morels in with all of that. So when the onion and the shallot is in the pan, it gets hit with the morels and I will allow them to caramelize, go to the point of caramelization because I want to drop all the liquid out and then I'll add that white, uh, excuse me, the white wine, the chicken stock and the cream, reduce it, salt and pepper. But what I also do is on the side, when I'm serving it, I saute fresh morels because that main sauce, I'm going to puree and strain. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm gonna strain it several times. So I get every bit of flavor from those morels from that standpoint. And then on pickup or when at service time or when you're serving your food, you saute new morels and in butter with salt, you can wave around some of your rosemary and thyme and that butter as well um, and remove it. And that way you have beautifully prepared morels that are, you know, have lost their water content, have, uh, and, you know, received all the flavor or became what they really need to be. And they have an excellent texture. They're not flabby. They're not, you know, that soft, you know, weirdness that a lot of people don't like about mushrooms. Um, they have a good texture and good color and, and excellent flavor. And then that is the garnish. And um, that's, that's how I like to do that now. Yeah. That, with that the roasted chicken. It is a lovely and refined way to do it. The, um, as always, yours is the, the beautiful and refined way, and mine is something I learned from someone's grandmother in another country. That's okay. That's good. <laughs> it's all good. The, yeah, um, I like it. Yeah. The, the other th- morels are underrated uh, to me, like sp- fresh spaghetti mm-hmm. with morels or tagliatelle with morels, just shallots, butter. Oh, yeah. You know, and... That, and the mushrooms, you know, with sauteed to to a point of really good flavor, that's great. That is as simple and as fantastic. Do you and know what as I, perfumey as it can be? Yeah. Do you know what I want with that? I mean, I can just see that, and I know how it would taste if you made it. I want like pieces, you know, like leftover pieces of braised beef short rib on there. You know, little just little guys. Oh, doesn't that Some, sound good? <laughs> something delicate. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. But I was going to say, if, 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 I can, if I can get the first fresh, like tiny peas at the mm-hmm. moment that the, you know, oh, I don't have the, peas the on morels my list. are still around. I don't oh, know pea, how I miss peas. peas. Locally, peas come Oof. in June. The thing is, we can get things from further south. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, you know it's like the whole, like, oh, in April, by the way, surprise, you're going to get spectacular white corn from Florida. Yes, our corn is great. Mm-hmm. But... I don't mind the white corn from Florida. I don't mind the white it corn comes, from Florida you know, either. <laughs> it comes three months ahead of ours. Yeah, and, or the and, fresh uh, peas from I go wherever God makes them. I don't, I mean, oh, I already have fresh peas in-house. I, 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 the day I placed the order for those and then they came in the next day, I almost, I was just like, oh, <laughs> thank you. Ooh. So exciting, talk, so early. Talk pea soup. Okay. Um, talk pea soup to me, Cindy. Okay, jeez, Tony. <laughs> uh, so you want nice onions, nice fresh onions, um, shallots, chop them, saute them gently in butter. Do not get any color. You know, just kind of hang out on medium to mediumish heat so that they uh, simmer gently, and um, and then add if either add water uh, and salt if you don't want chicken, or add a. A, a white chicken stock that you keep talking about. Um, so the, a white ch- chicken stock means the bones were not roasted prior to making the stock. Um, they were just raw bones. And um, it just makes a lighter stock, a lighter color, which in this case, we want both of those things because we want green peas color and flavor to come through, not mm-hmm. slightly brownish, you know, uh, rich, gorgeous, sexy chicken stock. So um, you saute the onion and the shallot and the butter, then you add the chicken stock. I'm just going to go that route. Uh, I do add a little bit of salt and pepper to it. Peas love black pepper. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's simple, not, not you know, um, surgery to figure out. It's just that simple. So um, then once that sort of what I call a soup base has worked for about 30 minutes, that, that stock with the onions and shallots. Um, uh, then add your shucked and clean 
And I would tell you, I always wash my peas after I shuck them in cold water and drain them very, very well. You know, there's dirt on those pods. and uh, little, um, little bits get inside. Yeah, it's inevitable. So once the peas are in there, uh, you're going to add that to the boiling stock or the soup base. And um, they won't take very long to cook at all, especially if they're little guys. And uh, probably, you know, maybe two minutes, three minutes. Once they are al dente. Now, you don't want to undercook them. If you undercook them, you're, 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 you're kind of fouling yourself up. What's that? You basically want to develop color and stop. Mm-hmm. Right, you know. exactly. And then, and then immediately, there's no fooling around when you make a green, green soup like this. You, you go right from, and please be careful, I will preface that, um, because you're going into a, hopefully a really good blender, um, which you can have a big catastrophe with, with a hot liquid. So um, go right into the blender. Do not overfill your blender. The, the biggest thing for safety with the blender is obviously that the lid is on and that it hopefully has a hot lid, which allows some of the steam to escape so that the blender top doesn't blow off you know, on you. Um, but mostly, you know, just don't overfill it. I would go about 60% of the mass of the blender and, um, and puree that into oblivion. You really want to, and if it starts to, if you're like, oh my gosh, this is really thick, just add a little bit of more, more of your stock, um, and um, and and then you're go- you need to strain this. There's going to be all kinds of stuff you need to strain out. So uh, blend it very very thoroughly, and then pass it through a fine sieve. And you might want to pass it again. And you can always adjust with salt and pepper. Anytime you make that soup, it makes me want to garnish it with fun things. Mm-hmm. You know, I and and you can go delicately, but I often it's very hard not to think of pork with peas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, you know, and I think my two favorite things to just float thin slices of on top of there, one chorizo iberico, oh yum, from Spain, you know, and it has a very particular smoky flavor in it, and that sets off against that. But it's it's funny. It's almost like you take a little bite of that with the soup and you're done with it. But it really kind of it's a punctuation to begin the whole story, and uh, and then you can also there's a, there's a salami that you find from like the uh, Emilia Romagna in the Lombardia called cacciatorini, um, which is a hundred sausage. It's, it's a little garlicky for sure, but it's, it's kind of a fatty sausage. And, uh, and there's always some, uh, coriander seed in there. And man, I love that with that. Mm, that sounds so good. Yeah. I love the idea of the Iberico chorizo, especially. Oh, and mm, you yeah. can steal it. It's okay. All right. Okay. So, <laughs> So that is a great recipe for any kind of really green soup. You know, let's say you want to make fava bean soup. I would make it exactly the same mm. way. Um, if I wanted to make spinach soup, I would make it the same way. You just have to think about the fact that you're working with lettuce and that's really full of water and it doesn't have a whole lot of, it doesn't have any starch content. The peas have a starch content. I guess I should say that. That's, I think that's important to understand. That's why that pea soup may actually seize up on you in the blender if you don't have enough liquid because they're so starchy. Um, so it, you, you need nothing to thicken that soup other than the peas. That, that's kind of, it's kind of a fun lesson when you, when you work with something like peas like that. Oh, man. First peas always make me remember risotto milanese. It's, mm-hmm. it, then it's time. You know, that's with the saffron and the peas and uh, little, little bits of bone marrow on the, the top of that as a garnish, mm-hmm. which kind of fold into it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I will be serving that tonight. I, I can't wait to go Milanese? in. Milanese? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, with because the marrow? we do have, uh, Well, yes, because we also have, I mean, we have these gorgeous peas. We're, we're I using know what I'm going to eat then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have the uh, the uh, uh, beautiful piece for one of our pasta dishes. So I'm like, ah, and I and we're out of truffles now. So it's time to move on with risotto. Yeah, truffles, 
bye bye friend. Yep. Sad. It's yeah. Well, we're, but we're moving to other mushrooms. It's moving time into for morels. a new new season. Not not long after for chanterelles, uh, hand of the woods wait. will come. You know the the mayatakis, mm-hmm. and that and you know I love those guys so much. Me too. You know, chicken of the woods. Mm-hmm. It's 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 funny. The English names are always ridiculous on these things, mm-hmm. but fun anyway. When we come back on formidable fun food and wine, we'll we're gonna talk about wine. And we're going to talk about wine that actually works with a lot of spring food uh, and, and coming out of winter food. And yeah. Oh, yeah. And you wanted to throw a crawfish dish in there. Exactly. On Formula Wolf on Food and Wine on WIPR. Welcome back to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Cindy, we're going to get into to wine. We're going to get into Burgundy and sort of unpack that briefly and concisely. But you wanted to talk about one last very traditional spring dish uh, from France with, with crayfish. Exactly. So I, again, I, I just love Paul Bocuse's cookbooks. I highly re- recommend all of them to you. Um, He's just, they're just so instructional. Some of the ones that are from the 70s, I will tell you, they wrote cookbooks a little differently back then. And I think they were trying to cater to the American market when they produced an English version of a book. And they would tell you to do some things that were maybe like a little weird, like use jello or, you know, I don't know, use canned stock or whatever. I think they're just trying to, you know, because, you know, things were so different back then. But anyway, so um, that would be the only thing I would say about if you buy some of the older cookbooks from maybe between the 50s and the and the into the early 80s. But with this, this dish, I just all I had to do was see the picture of a roasted chicken with crawfish in it. And it's such a, a traditional dish again of that um, of that region. And um, <clears throat> I have never made this and I'm going to make it tomorrow now that I've kind of been had my mind re- reminded of this. And you roast the chicken. And before when it goes into the pan, Prior, to, well, prior to the chicken going into the pan, you saute a little bit of uh, sort of thickly sliced shallots, uh, throw in a couple of cloves of garlic, and work them around in the fat in the pan, and then remove that, leaving the fat, but removing the the shallots and the garlic, and putting it on the side. And then you put the chicken in, and you start browning the chicken uh, lightly. You don't have to go crazy with that. And um, the chicken sh- obviously should be clean, cut up, seasoned, or you can do use a whole chicken. He uses a whole chicken, and um, and then right near the time that that chicken has started to get nice and sort of golden, you add the live crawfish to the pot and you, they're whole and you just put them in and work them around in that pan and your shells and all shells and all. Yeah. The whole, the whole body. Um, and that, that, uh, then, then those come out and basically you're cooking them. That that's the cooking process of those crawfish. It should be in there long enough to cook the crawfish, which is probably like five or six minutes. And by the way, this, dish is also traditionally done with omar lobster so if you can't access crawfish you could do this dish with uh whole lobsters or you if you if you have a huge dinner that you're doing or or you could do lobster tails i'm picturing a lobster crawling out of the pan and chasing you around the kitchen soon that would be a little scary all right so let's just go back to the little crawfish (laughs) which are a little less intimidating 
so once the crawfish are cooked, you remove those as well. You pop back in with the uh, shallot and the garlic. Um, you deglaze that pa- pan with the macon, the white wine. Um, you add uh, chicken stock, uh, a beautiful chicken stock, and um, let it, you actually let it cook that way, immersed in liquid. It's not a roasted dish. It is a braised dish. And if And at the end, the way I would deal with those crawfish is I would put them back in at the end, which will help the flavor of the broth. Uh, we'll get your crawfish hot again, and then you are, you know, pulling that chicken out, cutting it up, pulling the tail meat out of the crawfish, and um, actually a good thing to do, if you want, is when you have cooked them initially, rather than what I just said, initially pull them out, pull the tail meat off, and let all of that uh, inside juice go into that stock, which is a great way to flavor that stock, and that way your tail meat is ready to go. You can already cl- you can clean it right after that. And you don't have to have that last step where you're like, oh my gosh, I have to now pull the crawfish tail meat out of the body and all that. Um, so actually I recommend doing it this way. And then, and then that, that crawfish meat, in order to make it hot, if you're doing it that way where you've already pulled the meat out, just saute it in a little bit of butter and garnish the whole dish with it. Delicious. And probably exactly ideal for great, big, rich uh, Chardonnay from Macon. Uh, we, we say... Uh, Macon Fuisse, Vire Classe, one, one of these sorts of goodies. Especially if it has a couple of years of bottle age on it, maybe a 2016 or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a, a quick primer on Burgundy. I was thinking about it. People love Chardonnay. They love Pinot Noir. And as Americans, we learn grape names. And so Burgundy is easy because it's all Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. However, like you were saying, Macon, there are these larger regions in different parts of Burgundy that really dictate the styles of the wines and micro regions within that dictate more specific, like very high quality things or not. Chardonnay is grown in Chablis, which is well, it's closer to Paris than it is to the rest of Burgundy. Uh, Chardonnay is grown in the Côte d'Or, which is uh, especially in the Côte de Bonne, but, but that whole stretch uh, between, you know, uh, Dijon and and south through Bonne, and, and a bit south of that, um, on those hills, and Chardonnay has grown further south, uh, in just a little bit south in the Côte Chalonnais, and further south Macon, which we talked about, and going from south to north, Macon means they're going to be plump. They're less likely to be flavored with a lot of oak. Um, plump, gutsy, maybe not as mineral, not as sharp. Uh, honestly, Puy-Puy-Sé is one of those wine names that's easy to remember. And also a Macon, it, M-A-C-O-N, is easy, easy to remember. Those are things to look for on labels if you want. If you're used to West Coast Chardonnays, um, as far as the way they're fruit-driven, that's, that's a good place to, to go and look. And often they're excellent values. As you head north, the sort of the, the sleeper area that can be excellent is the Côte Chalonnais. Uh, and there are a bunch of sort of no-name villages there. Uh, Rouilly, Montagny, Givry. Um, those also tend to be relatively broad, rich, and not super mineral-driven. They will, they will often get a bit more oak flavoring. That also is a good region if you can find them. Uh, and, and price-wise, again, pretty reasonable stuff. Uh, 
once you get into the Cote d'Or, um, those are all the things. And people think, oh, Burgundy, fancy. That's, you know, the, the Grand Cru's are the most famous in the world. Le Monarché, Bata Monarché, Chevalier Monarché, Creo Bata Monarché, uh, Corton Charlemagne, and so on. Uh, those are big, powerful Chardonnays, and they see a lot of oak. Uh, those are the wines that, especially come 1970s and then moving towards now, those are the wines that the West Coast growers look for places to grow grapes that are like those and to, and chasing those wines stylistically. Though, of course, they're different, and vines adapt differently to different places. But the, the, the best of those are long-aging, very mineral, very fresh. Um, and when I say mineral, that, that there really are high notes, middle notes, and low notes. And, and they're... And they're maybe less tropical in general than you find further south and less tropical than you find on the West Coast. Uh, one interesting exception on the West Coast, I'm going to throw it in there, is a producer named Model Farm. And if you recall, we spoke to, we spoke yeah. to him mm-hmm. uh, on the, the radio a couple of years ago. And they make a cooler climate, Petaluma Gap Chardonnay, that, uh, that is very much like, you know, a... Santo Bain or something like that, a little village near Pliny Monarche. That's amazing yeah. that they're able to achieve that. Can you backtrack a second and kind of describe the region of Burgundy, you know, geographically, so pe- folks understand? Oh, I mean, it's it's it. When Burgundy is a big old political region, you know. From from, it was it was a duchy coming out of the Middle Ages, mm-hmm. and uh, it was his own kingdom, and then became a duchy under the French king. Um. And it's pretty sprawling. It's it's essentially from Auxerre in the northwest, where Chablis is, uh, all the way down almost to Lyon. Beaujolais is part of that. Beaujolais is almost entirely red wines, um, but that that's also part of it. So it's a it's a big area. And it goes. It's, to a, the, it's in the east of France. Yeah, the sort border. of central eastern part of France. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not to the mountains, and it's all it's all pretty gentle farmland. And yeah, where the hills are is poor of farmland. That's where they tend to plant vines. So and the, the tradition of the vines and winemaking all comes from the Catholic Church once upon a time. And slowly, the, the farmers who are working in the land would begin to, to, to buy and own you know, the things that they were working on after the revolution. So it's kind of an interesting situation. There were merchants... Some negociants, what they called in wine in France. There's some merchants like uh, Joseph Jouin or Louis Latour, that, and there are several others, that would buy wine from growers and then be the ones to either make the wine and finish it and sell it, you know, or buy finished wine, bottle it, and sell it. Okay. The last place you find Chardonnay is, is Chablis, and that being further north and having a totally different soil type uh, has a very different profile. It has a very chalky soil, Camerigian soil, like you find in Champagne, mm-hmm. uh, like you find in Sancerre. And uh, those are wines, when I think of spring and spring food, mm-hmm. you know, those, those, those little vegetables in the broth. Okay. You know, the, yeah. the, 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 the peas and the, those English peas and pasta, you know, the crayfish on their own. You know, the, those are things that I want Chablis for. And Chablis... Uh, like a lot of the rest of Burgundy, has qualitative striations to it, where there are village-level wines that are just Chablis, 
and then there are premier crews, which are better sites, uh, and then grown crews, which are the greatest sites. You expect usually price to rise from village to premier crew to grown crew, and you find this consistently throughout Burgundy, whites and reds. The most famous places are the grown crews, and those are the ones that age the longest, and those are the ones that are the prestigious ones, but it's because of the best sites. In the end, it comes down to farming. And, and are they the best sites because they're up on the hill or that doesn't, not necessarily there, so? There's a sweet spot on the hill as far as exposure um, to sunlight, drainage, okay. uh, mineral deposits. You know, it's, it's one of those, it's like looking in the ocean and having a sense of what's going on under there. <laughs> the, the amount of trial and error required, you know. Right. Everything gets planted and then eventually you're like, mm, no, that's a waste of time. Right. That's a waste of time. This is good. And and that that's kind of the process that I think that, that happened over time. How far back does growing grapes in that region go? Um, before uh, before uh, Charlemagne. So uh, 1,100 or so, Pinot Noir showed up there. <laughs> that's so it was almost It was almost all Gamay first. Oh, wow. Gamay is the red grape of Beaujolais. Okay. And Beaujolais is either just Beaujolais, Beaujolais Village, or the villages, right? And Gamay is more like uh, Syrah in a much better mood and more charming than it is like Pinot Noir, even though it's in Burgundy as well. Okay. It has darker flavors. Uh, it has some of the high notes that you find in some Syrah. We're very used to Syrah being big and ponderous and like Shiraz, but in a lot of places in, in Middle Europe and in, in France, they're, they're not monsters. Mm -hmm. It's not a thick-skinned grape. And as far as far as Pinot Noir, the the thing to know, there are less regions where it's grown. The Côte de Nuit, which is Nuit Saint Georges centric and north of there, up towards Dijon, and the Côte de Beaune to the south, uh, around the city of Beaune and some of the villages there, and then the villages south of just south of there that are more famous, like Pomar and Volnay. They grow a very different style Pinot Noir from one another and very different style than you find on the West Coast. To grow red wine, the, the sunlight is much dimmer and it's much riskier in Burgundy. And the, the hit versus miss ratio is, is tougher than with the whites. Ripening white grapes, you know, to get the skins right is easy. Red grapes, they have to turn and then it requires patience. And if you're in a cool place where rains come in the fall, you know, yeah. that, that can get you it's in big trouble. Volatile, with, right. With, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's just it's have more risky. And all kinds it's of stuff. It's more risky. That being yeah. said, the very best of these wines, I mean, I've tasted, I've tasted, I've drunk wines from the 1930s and 40s and 50s and 60s that were in fantastic shape when, when they're gotten exactly right. And it takes a very precise location. You know, when, when you get it exactly right, they're amazing. Mm-hmm. And you don't forget those wines. You don't, you don't forget the Grand Cru that you have, the, the Clos de Tard, you know, right. the Clos Vougeot, the Latache. You know, that, to me, the sleepers are the premier crews from really good growers. Those are the ones that they're not cheap by any stretch, but they're very high quality at not a crazy price. Hmm. So... Yeah, Clovijo. When I when I when I uh, am old, I want to go live at Clovijo. I don't think that they're going to agree to that. <laughs> oh, maybe if I cook for them. 
That's, I mean, you're very talented, but I still don't think they're going to oh, agree with that. I love that chateau and so we, much. I, it's my favorite village in the whole region. Well, you it. can. Now our program is coming to an end. You can dream about that. Okay. <laughs> if you want to download this episode or any other one of our podcasts, go to the WIPR website, WIPR.org. And look for the Foreman Wolf page. On the Foreman Wolf page, you'll see a full menu of goodies there of past programs. If you want to correspond with us, ask me burgundy questions um, or send you recipe questions or whatever it might be. It's foremanwolf at wypr.org. If you want to follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media, you can follow me as Chef Wolf on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. My Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. Thanks so much for listening. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday.